some of our series through. Gee, half the church have gone through. Um, I hope they come back. Anyway, we, have a, we do have a number of people away. My sister and a brother in law up in Northwich visiting my other brother and uh, their church there. Next weekend, Lisa and I will be in Bristol uh, with Zach and Rishma and then visiting a church there. So there's lots of going on. And then next Sunday evening, Werner flies out to um, Africa for a tea meeting uh, for a week. So he won't be here the following week. So there's lots going on. The beginning of a year, there's lots going on. So. Um, Yeah, so I'm just going to pray and then I'll get straight into this morning's word. Father, thank you that we can come together, that we have the freedom to meet with you in a, in a corporate public way. Lord, this morning as we look at your word, I ask that you would uh, guide our, uh, guide my words, but also that as our hearts are open to you, that you would speak to us, that we would be strengthened, uh, enlarged, uh, and encouraged in, in, in our lives living for you, Lord. Come and have your way this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. If, uh, if, you, want to look in your, uh, if you want to open your Bibles to uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 or 3, and just keep your finger there, we're not going there straight away, but we will be uh, looking at that this morning. <clears throat> We've been looking at the, the ingredients of what it means to be a base church, a church that strengthens and encourages and, and God uses throughout uh, this nation, but also the nations, and we see that in Scripture in uh, Acts, we see different churches that have that, uh, that uh, impact that is beyond themselves. And that's not based on size, but it's based on calling of God and anointing of Him. Uh, and, and so we've been looking at what the ingredients of that looks like um, so that we can make adjustments in our lives, but also so that we can walk in with hope and the fullness of life into what uh, God has for us. And this morning, uh, oh, sorry, we've looked at different areas. We looked at prayer. We've looked at um, the translocal. We've looked at discipleship and all of those things. This morning, we, we are going to be looking at what it means to, con- uh, to, to, to live together as God's family. To, to what it means to live a life that contributes, so, of contribution. So you, if you write notes and you want titles, you can have your main title as in ingredients of a base church, but it's something along the lines of, and you know me, I don't always get titles right, of, of family life, contributing to family life. Most believers understand the, the principle that is in, incredibly important and intrinsic to us that through Jesus, we now have access to the Father directly. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a different format of anything else. We can, as the children of God, because of the saving work of Jesus, come directly to God the Father and talk, commune, worship, cry out, and have that relationship with Him that builds into our lives and into the lives around us. And we come as His children to Him, our God and Father. And when we look at Scripture, we see that we have that access not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done and continues to do. And because of Jesus' death on the, cross, on the cross and resurrection, He paid the price for us that we could come into that relationship with Him. And if you're not saved, if you haven't got that relationship with God, if you haven't surrendered your life to God then that might be something that you can't get your head around because how can you come to God? Because you can't come in your own strength. You can't come in your own ability or, 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 or your own merit. 
Because none of us have that. It's only through Jesus. And that's the one aspect that is so important, that we have free access to God the Father. And I spoke about this a number of weeks ago when we looked at prayer, that we can speak to Him, we can come to Him with any issue at any time. And that's because we are His children, and He's done that through His Son, Jesus. Make sense? Yes, I hope so. The other aspect of what it means to be a child of God is that we belong to a family, which is His family. And that is the church. The church is known as the family of God. And we have a part to play in that family. And I I don't think it's any coincidence that actually in the world we live in, what has come under increasing uh, uh, attack over generation after generation is marriage and family. Because if somehow the devil can distort or, or break our understanding of what it means to have a marriage relationship and a family that is uh, as biblical, in any way, if he can bring damage to that, it then uh, clouds or damages our understanding of what it means to be a human created in the image of God. But more importantly, it, it, it undermines and damages our understanding of what it means to be children of God living in a family of God with him as our father. And no matter what our experience, what we know is that the truth of God does not change. And so if our experience is one of damage, if our experience is one of pain, uh, at the end of of the the time of sung worship this morning, Werner spoke about and prayed and thanked God that he was the bondage breaker. And those things that have been damaged before, we can come to him and he can bring healing and wholeness and restoration. So that as we look at the truth of what it means to be a family of God, as we look and see what it, the truth of what it means to be the child of God, what it means to be his follower, and what, he is, uh, what it means that he is our father, then he can heal and whole, bring wholeness to every single one of us, regardless of what that has been, whether it's been good or bad, in line with this truth that never changes. And so we have a decision to either believe the truth of God and allow that to transform us and bring healing and wholeness through His Spirit, or allow our experience to dictate what we believe is true. Now, it's not negating or reducing any pain that would have been felt, but we have this choice. Either we allow our experience to determine and fashion our theology and our understanding of God, and therefore how we view Him and how we live in the future, or we allow the truth of God to transform our experience and change our thinking to come into line with the truth so that we start to live as He's intended us to live. And that requires us surrendering to Him and bring, coming to Him for healing and wholeness. None of that's planned this morning. So, I don't, so if that's you, I would encourage you, go back to the Word, go back to God, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to bring wholeness in the brokenness of the past and set your face and your faith on what is truth for the future so that we can live with hope and joy and great expectation rather than the pain of the past that determines how we live today. But we are called and we come into this place of relationship with God through salvation and we are part of the family of God. And recently we looked at what that meant. I think it was probably last year now. Everything kind of merges into, to, 
do the same year sometimes, we looked at what it means to be the family of God. So I'm not doing a whole preach on the family of God. And we, and, and we looked at that and we'll con- constantly remind us of, of the fact that we are family because that's what the church is. Intrinsically, that's what the church is. And the biblical family is one that has covenant relationship, one that is uh, the, through which there is teaching and instruction and equipping and releasing, where, one where we come and bring people through to a place of maturity. Um, Werner touched on that last week about discipleship and how that's actually the process of growth and life in God from infancy through to maturity. And we never, ever graduate from discipleship. We are always being discipled. And we always live in that place. And in the family, there's authority, there's leadership. And each one has a role to play. But this other, the next point, which I think is really important this morning, is that as part of a family, each one of us have a responsibility. And often we can just look at things and we think, well, that's it. But actually, we each have a responsibility. First and foremost, we have a responsibility for our own lives. Scripture tells us very clearly that each one of us will stand before God and have to give an account of our lives. We are accountable to Him for what He's entrusted to us. First and foremost, our lives and how we live that. But then in the, in the context of that, the gifts He's given, the relationships He's given, the call He's given, all those things, we are first and foremost responsible for our lives before God and then those that God brings into our lives. And that shouldn't bring condemnation. And it shouldn't be, well, now it's not like a, he's not like a headmaster. He's our father who loves us and wants the best for us and has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so actually we will stand before him and say, what have we done with what he's given? Because we have a responsibility as part of the family before God. But as part of the family, we also have a responsibility in family life, if that makes sense. Each one has a part to play. Each one has a responsibility for the other. Scripture says that we are to carry our own burdens, but we also to carry each other. It doesn't nullify the other. It means that actually we're responsible for our own walk before God, but actually as part of the family, we have a responsibility for our brothers and sisters before God. And, some, and, and that responsibility, sometimes it's, it's linked in and is to do with our gifts and the things that God has in, in, uh, entrusted or put into us, our gifts, our abilities, our call. Our, uh, sometimes it's just that sweet spot of all of those things working together with uh, the, the, um, our interests and our, our passions and all those things. Sometimes it's in, in line with a specific role where there's a responsibility that we have. But often it's just because we are part of the family of God, we have a responsibility. 1 Peter 2 and 1 Corinthians 3 both use the analogy of us maturing from infants in Christ to, to adults in maturity, speaking of the milk of the word and then onto solid food, kind of that picture of going from where we start to a place of maturity. And so for us, we need to understand that as we come to God as our Father, we can't stay like we are. He loves us too much to allow us to stay like we are. 
But we need to grow in, in our relationship with him. We need to grow spiritually. We need to grow uh, in all those areas of our lives so that we reflect him more, but so that we grow into the fullness of who he's created us to be. And that's maturity. And that's why we see that paralleled in the physical in our families. You see, when we look at infants, we look at babies, babies just consume, don't they? They consume food, they consume your time, they consume your sleep, they consume everything. That's just the nature of a baby. And the parent has got that responsibility to care for, to nurture, to nourish, to to feed, to protect, to clothe, to bring through. But if an adult has that same issue of just consuming and having and wanting... They might be old, they might be mature in years, but they're not mature in anything else. And the same is true for us as believers. Often when we come to Christ, we come as babies because we, we are born again. And so in, in that moment, we are needing a lot of input. We're needing people to help us, to help feed us, show us how to read the Word, how to pray, how to live, how to hear the voice of God. But if we always are being spoon-fed, we just become very fat Christian babies rather than adults that actually know how to read the Word, search for it ourselves, pray and have that relationship with God and grow. And so often churches can be filled with people who are just consuming everything like a baby and not actually contributing very much at all. You see, an adult is one, as you grow up, is one who contributes to the needs of others. You look out for, you you impart to, you help train and equip. Infants live for themselves. They don't know anything else except themselves. Their world, the world revolves around them. But how sad is it when, as adults, we live with the same attitude? How sad is it when, as believers, we live with the same attitude? In actual fact, it's all about Jesus and Him working through us to impact those around us. Part of growing up is realizing that we're part of a family and as part of a family we have responsibility for what goes on and we have a role to, bl- to play that goes beyond just showing up and consuming but it goes to a point of imparting, having a role to play and an impact in others. And the same is true for church life. That actually each one of us have a role to play And as we become more mature in Him and and those things change and and the different aspects of our understanding of God and our relationship with God and different doors of opportunity open that we step into those. Now there's a difference between uh, being a guest in a home and being a member of the household. I get that. So uh, I'm not expecting someone to walk through the door for the first time and then suddenly that's it. They can, it's actually there's a process. And also there's a process of maturity and it's a process of growing. You don't go from baby to 80 in one day. It's a process we grow in. But it's a process we give ourselves to as well. So there is that. But sometimes guests are family members. See, if I can use an example in our household, and I know I've always got to be careful because my children, well, Eve's the only one here, the other two are away to university, but... They talk. So, in our household, when we have someone come over for a meal or come and visit, it's a whole family affair. Whoever's there helps. 
One will cook, one will clean, one will uh, and tidy up and make, lay the table or help serve or help pack away. It, it, it's a whole family affair. Why? Because we all understand we're inviting someone into our home and this is our family and we have a responsibility to make them feel welcome, to serve, to love. To, uh, and, and, some, and, and if it's a family member coming to our household, they also get involved to a degree. Because they know where stuff is and it's their home as much as it's our home. And, and that goes beyond biological family to church family. But there's that sense of actually, it's not just Lisa and I as the parents with three adult children who then say, okay, well, kids, you just go and sit and keep quiet and busy yourself. We'll do everything. That, that's not how it works. All three of them have been brought up knowing that actually they have a role to play from a very young age. Help with this, help with that. That's why even here on Sundays or other things that we do, you'll see, we try, I, well certainly I do, I try to in, involve the children in stuff that we do. If we have a lunch, some of the children will help move the plates around. Yes, they might only carry one plate, but it means that they understand that they have a role to play. They are valuable. Even in their infancy, they're part of this. And too often, not just in the practical things, but spiritually, we can approach church family in the same way. Well, I'll leave it to them. I'll come have the benefit, but I'll leave it to them to pray. I'll leave it to them to serve. I'll leave it to them to do. And I'll just come along because I'm part of the family. It's like, actually, if you're part of the family, you have a responsibility that goes in there. When we understand that, we also understand this. That, yes, sometimes our role is in line with our gifting. And we've preached a lot about understanding who you are, how God has created you, what are the gifts that God's given you, and use your gifting and your passion and and serve in that way which I still firmly believe is true. But if we only limit it to that, we're missing this, the whole area of responsibility. Because you see, sometimes it's not in line with what your passion is or your gifting is. It's because something needs to be done and I'm part of the family, so I do it. You see, now, again, I can use my family because it's safe. I won't offend anybody. And if they want to be offended, they can't be because they're in the family and I'm the dad. I don't particularly like vacuuming. But, hang on, I do actually like ironing. So, hey, there's weird things happen. But ironing, you get the creases out and it's nice. And So, we won't go there. I don't particularly like vacuuming, but if someone comes, it needs to be done, so I do it. And if I'd say, well, it's not my passion, it's not my gifting. My gifting is not vacuuming. My passion is not the vacuum cleaner. So I'm not going to do that because that's not how God's wired me. It's like, I I will not get very far. Not in my household. But you see what I'm trying to say? In church, we can often see... Actually, that's my gifting, that's my passion, that's, and that's great, run with that, do that. You see, I'm, I'm, all of you know that I'm a painter, and I do, that's my passion, that's my gifting. I've got a little corner in the dining room, that's my desk for drawing and painting. And it's like if I say, okay, well, we've got guests coming, oh, it's fine, let them come, I'm doing my passion. I'm going to sit and paint 
yeah, you can cook, you can clean. That's not responsibility. In that moment, I have to stop doing that and say, okay, what needs to be done? And the same is in the life of the church. Actually, there are things that need to be done physically, the things that need to be done spiritually, the thing where we need to contend for all sorts of things. And, and if we just say, well, I'm only going to be involved in my passion and my gifting, we misunderstand what it means to be the family of God. Because it goes beyond that. And a lot of the time it's just because you are part of the family. That, you see, the, the family see what's going on, they pitch up, they put their, and they pitch in. So in other words, you, you arrive and you put your shoulder to the plow and you say, I'm behind, we're doing this together. We've got something that God has for us. You see, again, and we can't say, well, it's just because of this or because of that. And it's, if I do that, then I need recognition. You see, I, I was probably unpopular with some parents a while ago, many years ago when we spoke. I think, I think we did a parenting thing once. I don't know. But I, I, and someone asked the question. I spoke about... Um, uh, chores and uh, uh, hmm? pocket money and those kind of things. And I said, that doesn't work in our house. So I'm, uh, I'm not even going to apologize to my children for not doing it that way. You see, some people will, and if you do this, just hear what I'm trying to use as a principle. It's like, there are things that have to happen in our household because you're part of the family and it needs to happen. So chores, my kids never got paid for. Why? Because that isn't how it works. You're part of the family. Stuff needs to happen. You have a responsibility. Pocket money was a gift that was, if we had it, it was a blessing and a, a gift. It wasn't connected to anything else. And then if they got old enough to have a job, then the job they did, they earned money, they could tithe and they could spend their money. That's how it works. But you see, this whole thing of, well, these are the chores. Like, my, my son never got paid for washing the car or mowing the lawn. And we, uh, I know some families have rotors. And for me, it was like, you're my son. You, I drive you around a lot. Let's clean the car. It needs to be done. See what I'm trying to say? It's like, so often we can approach church in the same way. It's like, well, I'll do this if I get recognition. I'll do that if it's in my gifting. Or I'll do that if... It's like, you'll do it if you're part of the family. It really doesn't matter. And that's what we see in Scripture, that actually that's what it means. And there's some practical things that have to happen in the life of the church. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not saying this because I'm grumpy or cross or anything else. Because I know I said I don't like vacuuming, but I vacuum this hall every week. And I use it as an opportunity to pray because that's the only way vacuuming is a pleasure. I walk up and down the rows praying for everybody who might sit in the row as I vacuum the floor. So that's because this room needs to be vacuumed. So there are some things in the church that need to happen. Floors vacuumed, windows cleaned, toilets cleaned, children looked after, food done, tea and coffee, all those things. Very practical that the family should do because in some ways this is our house that we're inviting guests into to encounter God. On the other side, there's a lot of spiritual stuff that has to happen. We celebrate together. We, we contend together in prayer. We build together discipleship. We advance together evangelism. We plant together translocal ministry. It's not... Some do, some don't. 
It's like if this is the church families that God's got you in, then actually as we contend and pray together, we come, we pray together. Why? Because there's a spiritual responsibility that we carry to reach the lost, to equip one another, to build into each other's lives, that discipleship and that process of learning and equipping and training. It's a whole church thing. It's not just the leaders. Because if we think it's the leaders, then we're shooting back to pre-Jesus, Old Testament. They have to go and hear God from our behalf, and then we can only... It's not that. And if we think it's only the leaders, then we're also thinking hierarchical and, and, and not family. Different people have different roles and different responsibilities, and they go way beyond just the practical to the spiritual things of contending in the heavenlies, praying for, standing in the gap on behalf of, encouraging, training, equipping, teaching one another. If you, Scripture is clear that if you have anything that God has revealed to you, impart it to someone else. It's not a select few that learn give time to the word that God speaks to that then impart to others it's everybody that's why I try and preach the word of God as simply as I can not because I'm dumb because I do know what some of those big words mean but generally I don't use those words neither do most of you and you see in the old days they used to use all this language and not everybody is educated and actually what happened was the truth of the word and the scriptures weren't accessible to everybody because it was made so high that they couldn't reach it. Actually, we all have access. We all, so that means that you have access to the word of God to study, to be equipped, to thoroughly learn. And no matter how young you are, some of the teenage guys, where you hear from God, share that with others, whether they're older than you, younger than you, same age as you. Take what God speaks to you and share it with others. That's building together. Making sense? That's what it means to be part of the church family. If you've got your fingers still in Nehemiah, I told you we would get there. Nehemiah is an incredible book, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but let me just give you some background to it. In that Nehemiah was in exile, and he was the cupbearer to the king, and actually in, in, in before modern translations, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one book in the original. They're one book because they are one parallel and concurrent, and there's Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah all around about the same time. And uh, Zerubbabel went and helped, and they, started, they rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Ezra is more about proclaiming and teaching the law and the reading the Torah, and, and what we see here is in Nehemiah is in the king's presence and his brother and some others come from Jerusalem and he asks them about the condition of Jerusalem. And you can have this pattern or this picture of Jerusalem as the church. And they tell him that the walls are broken down and, and the, the, the state of destruction that it's in. And when he hears this, we see that his, sorry, his, his response was one of the fact that it says this in, in Nehemiah chapter 1. He said, when I heard these things, verse 4, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He heard and it moved him. He wasn't even there. He was in exile. He was in a different world, as it were, in the king's palace with all that that goes with. And when he heard of the state of Jerusalem, it impacted him. 
and moved him to the place of mourning and grieving and crying out to God and fasting and prayer. Can I ask a question? It's a rhetorical one, so please don't answer. Because, but I think each one of us need to answer this. Are we moved to this in to this degree when we see the church, whether it be this church or other churches or or the church and the state and and people who unsaved and people who vulnerable and all? Are we moved? Are, 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 are we moved to that place where we see people being distracted and taken out by the enemy? To the point where we fast and we pray and we cry out to God. Anyway, so he does that and then it says that he, he starts to pray. And when he's praying, he confesses his sin. He confesses before God the sin of his parents and the sin of his nation. And there's another whole thing that you can go into there. But what, the point I want to make is this. He took responsibility. First he took responsibility for his life. Then he took responsibility for his family. Then he took responsibility beyond that. He understood that because he was part of that family, in that community, he had a role to play. And he was responsible. It wasn't all on him, but he certainly stepped up to the plate and did that. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, we jump through to there in verse 17. So he's gone, he's gone to the king. He's got all these, got all, uh, the king, God's just given him grace and favor. He's gone to Jerusalem and he arrives in Jerusalem and he inspects the wall at night. He doesn't tell anybody in Jerusalem what he's there to do or what God had placed on his heart to do. He does all of that and, and then he meets with the leaders and he, and he says to them this, after doing all of those things and understanding those things in verse 17, then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we will no longer live in disgrace. He didn't say, well, I don't live there. Look at the trouble you're in. It would be good for you to rebuild. It's that ownership of responsibility. Look at the trouble we are in. Come, let us rebuild. Do you see the picture? It's, I'm in this as much as you. Come, let us. And he speaks about the grace of God's hand on him and all the favor and everything else. And their response was, let us start rebuilding. And so they did. There's that sense of ownership of Stepping up and taking on the responsibility together. Come, let us do this. Not, okay, Nehemiah, then you do it. It's us. And we're not going to read all of them, but as you read through chapter 3, and I encourage you to go home today or tomorrow and read through, just even if it's just these first four chapters of Nehemiah, it starts in chapter 3 when they start working. And he starts listing different people. The son of this one, the, the, the high priest and the fellow priests went to work at the sheep gate. Then the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. Then the sons of this one and the sons of that one. And, and then there was one group that, and then the men of Tekoa built this. And then, there's, then it, he even goes on and says, um, the men of Tekoa, but their nobles weren't happy to put their shoulder to, to, to the work under the guidance of the supervisor. There was one group of nobles didn't want to. 
but the rest did. And then later on you'll see that rulers did, and, uh, and the rulers and their daughters did. And then there's even a point, I think it's in, um, uh, where is it, verse 17, I think it is, which speaks about, um, maybe it's not, uh, but, the, but just go through then, you'll see different ones. In verse 8, the son of Har- Hariah did, one of the goldsmiths repaired the one part, then the makers of perfume did. So kind of, can you imagine that? And I, I might have this completely wrong. Actually, I have a friend who is a perfumier and he was a scientist. That's, but not rarely stonemasons. <laughs> not rarely their gifting or their passion. Yet building a wall. Goldsmiths, usually doing other things. Now moving rocks and clearing rubble and, and shoulder to shoulder, every single kind of person. This one, that one, this one. The, the merchants, the goldsmiths, the perfume makers, the, the, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, the, um, the, the guards, the rulers of half districts, the ruler of half districts and his daughter, this, the men of this place, the brothers of that place. And it, and it paints this incredible picture. And I encourage you, go home and read through Nehemiah 3 and 4. Just read 1 to 4 if you want to. And ask God to show you and just reveal this incredible depth of this picture of every single one, no matter what background, no matter where they come from, they all worked together to rebuild because they realized we are in trouble. We need, God's called us, so we do this together. And then intimidation came and opposition came and, and it wasn't easy. It said it was really hard work. And they didn't stop the work. What they did was they, they, they had half of them at one point, they had half of them guarding while the other half worked. Then there's another point where they each carried, when they were carrying equipment around, they carried it in one hand and carried a sword in another. Then they, put to, uh, they called everybody to come and stay in Jerusalem at night because of the, the, the opposition so that they could stand shoulder to shoulder and guard what they were doing. So there was a contending together, there was a building together, there was a defending together, there was a celebrating together when they accomplished it all. And it says that it was really hard work and they, and they accomplished it, they finished it because God's hand was with them. There was unity of heart and mind and each one realized no matter who it was, they built, some of them built in front of their homes, some of them built on other sides, some of them built with others, some of them built in areas that they never even lived in. But what we see is this incredible picture of the whole community stepping up and taking responsibility because something needed to be done. And I'm quite sure that at some point when it was finished, the goldsmiths went back to smithing, whatever they do, <laughs> making jewelry. The perfume maker started again. The priests went back to doing what they needed to do. The rulers carried on governing and all those things. But See what I'm trying to say? The same is true for us. The same is true for us here in, in Christchurch. We contend together. We celebrate together. We do stuff together because we're part of the family. Sometimes and often for longevity's sake, there will be areas that we serve in for a long time that are in keeping with gifting and calling and passion and all of those. But there's also just family life. 
That's stepping up and praying together. That's why we have our corporate prayer meetings before the meeting on a Sunday, once a month on the second Sunday. So the, and and or equally, that one was so brilliant to see. Some of the parents in the church with young children come with their children to the prayer meeting where we have worship and prayer. Well, for me, I, I love it when that happens. And it's not easy. We did that with our three when they were very small. And they've always been... Why? Because they grow up knowing that no matter how young, they're at the prayer meeting together because the family prays together. The church family prays together. They have a role to play. And yes, they might not pray. They might play, but they grow up with this understanding of this is what the family does. The family pray together. They come on a Sunday morning to worship. Why? Because the family worship. We teach them the scriptures. Why? Because that's what the truth is. And so we all grow from infancy to maturity because God's got us in the family that we would thrive and fulfill everything that he's called us to. That's why for us, church membership is not a list you sign or a document you agree to. Or It's an understanding that this is where God's placed you and so it's a commitment of the heart. Because biblical family is covenant relationship. I love our home group. Our home group is made up of different people, but I know this. That if, no matter who we are in the home group, if there's a need, they'll help. If someone needs some prayer, they will pray. Whether it be for you, your family, your aunties, neighbors, dogs, whatever, my family, my home group will pray. They always do. They always stand there. I know that if we need something, anybody in the, that home group can call and we'll do what we can to help. And if we can't, we'll make a way. Why? Because it's family. Also lo- love this. They, all of them, clear up, pack up, dishwash, wipe tables. Why? Because they're part of the family. And I would trust that every home group's like that. But for me, it's beyond that. It's the church. Church is family. It's where we belong. It's where we know, we known, and where we can know and support and love one another. Also, in home group, they wrestle with the word. We have very robust discussions. Why? So that we can wrestle with the word. The word of God becomes truth in our lives. That our lives are transformed. And also, ask any of them. They challenge one another. Call them out. Why weren't you here? What was going on? They're giggling because it's true. You see what I'm saying? When you're part of the church, you're part of a family. Part of a family is more than a document you signed. It is, it, and that's why we don't even have those. It's a commitment of the heart. I have a role to play. I have a part to play. I have a responsibility. And my contribution is valid. My contribution is essential. Sometimes it's with gifting. Sometimes it's just because you are part of the family. You're important. You have a role to play. So I'd encourage you as we end off. For us to do all that God's put on our hearts to do individually and corporately, we need to stand together. We need to worship together. We need to come and pray together. We need to celebrate together. We need to eat together. We need to... All of those things. Why? Because we are family. And He is our Father, and He is our God, and He is the Head, and He brings transformation. But if we stay on the outside, 
how can we be part of? If we, there might be a time where at different times we, we, are, we receive more than we give, but it can't stay there. It's like a hospital. Someone once said church is like a hospital. I think, yeah, I can see what you're saying. But remember this, you never live in a hospital. You go to hospital to get healed so that you can go out and do the work again. So for me, it's more like a field hospital in the, in the military. You come to the hospital, you get patched up, you looked after, you cared for, you got to a place of thriving and health again so that you can go out and do the work again. I think, from my understanding, if you had to make your home inside the hospital, you'd probably get very, very sick. <laughs> the nurses agree. So I'm not saying we don't have times where we need a lot of attention. We do, but we can't stay in those times. We can't live in those places. We come to God. He brings healing and wholeness so that we can go out and help others that need to be brought in to encounter Him, to go unto others, and we do that together. Now I'm offering. Let's pray. I hope you're getting what I feel this morning. It's like God's called us. God brings us together. We are family. We have a responsibility that's practical but also spiritual. Not to stay as infants but to grow in maturity and bring Him glory and honor. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are our Father, that we have access to you all the time through any situation, that we are your children and through your Son, those of us who are saved can come to you. Lord, I pray for those who haven't yet bowed their knee and accepted you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that by your Spirit you would draw them to you, you would reveal yourself to them, and that they would be transformed. But Father, I pray for us that we would have this understanding that would break through our cultural thinking or our patterns of behavior that as part of the family we have a responsibility. Lord, where we've just sat back and let others do things because it's not this or not that, Father, we choose this morning to make the change and say, God, whatever you're calling us to, we'll do. As a family, church family, we'll step up to the plate and take responsibility and do these things. Father, that we would see your hand move through us as a church in an incredible way. That Holy Spirit, you would work in each one of our lives as we grow in maturity with each other. This iron sharpens iron and we study the word and we grow and we put our shoulder to the things that you're calling us to. Lord, that we'd see you move in an incredible way. Lord, I pray for those who might feel that they don't belong. Lord, I pray that we would be able to embrace so that actually there is a sense of belonging because of you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are not to walk this life and our faith alone in isolation. Lord, that would be so hard. But God, you've put us in family so that we can contend together, pray together, grow together, celebrate together. Lord, I ask that by the power of your Spirit, just like you empowered Nehemiah and the, and the, the people to rebuild Jerusalem's walls, a task that seemed impossible. Lord, I ask that by your Spirit you would empower us to live how you've created us to live. God, when we look at the world, it might seem impossible because it's so vastly different. But Lord, we know that in the power of your Holy Spirit we can live and thrive and flourish as you've created us to. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Wonderful. I hope that was helpful and challenging. Uh, if your children are through there, you need to go and fetch them. Uh, there is tin coffee both in there and at the back.